0: Welcome to Raise the Line with Osmosis from Elsevier, seeking solutions with leading experts on how to increase healthcare capacity so people can get the care they
1: need during the pandemic and beyond. Hi, I'm Glani. If you're curious about the role of big box retailers in the U.S. healthcare system, we have a special guest with us today from one of the biggest players involved to provide us with some insight. Dr. John wigness or Dr. Wig, as he's known, is Walmart's chief medical officer, leading the company's safety, quality, and training programs, clinical program development, and medical affairs areas. He brings deep experience in the healthcare field to his current role. In addition to being a practicing nephrologist for many years, he spent nearly two decades in a variety of roles at major companies in the pharmaceutical, medical device, and healthcare service industries. In addition to finding out about the role of Walmart Health and Wellness in healthcare delivery, we'll also be asking Dr. Wig about the recently launched Walmart Healthcare Research Institute, which aims to increase access to healthcare research and innovative medicines focused on studies that have a health equity impact. So Dr. Wig, thanks for taking the time to be with us today. Thank you, Shiv. Really appreciate it. Well, as you know, our audience comprises many current and future healthcare professionals. And one of the questions we always like to start with is just learning more about you, what got you interested in medicine, and then eventually in nephrology.
0: Sure. Yeah, I mean, I think if you met me in high school, you'd have never thought I was going to become a physician. I was not paying too much attention at school, and and was pretty heavily into music, and and thought I was going to go down that career, and was doing a bunch of session work. And my dad was a pediatrician, and so through a bunch of different events, you know, I just ended up gravitating towards uh, healthcare it was something I'd always seen and and really admired, and so it was it was somewhat of an organic move.
1: Yeah, no, totally. I can definitely relate to that. My my father being a physician as well, and just kind of your growing up surrounded with it. And then you know, take us through med school. Like, what what got you interested in medicine, then nephrology? Because that's always on top of our learners' minds, understanding how they choose what specialty they go into. Yeah, you know, I when I was going through medical school, I I didn't really have a clear understanding of what
0: I wanted to do. I was you know initially gravitating towards radiology. It just was more visual. It seemed more artistic, and and I actually did a year of medicine and radiology. And while I was doing radiology, I just didn't um, wasn't as uh, passionate about it. And I happened to be doing some renal procedures, doing some you know intravenous pyelograms, and and just started getting interested in talking to people. And so then I switched out and finished up my internal medicine training, and then went off to nephrology. And nephrology for me was a lot about you know having something very objective in front of you, you know, you know, when someone has kidney disease uh, versus, you know, if someone has back pain, it's a little bit more esoteric. And I always really appreciated um, that part of it and the technology aspect.
1: Yeah, no, absolutely. We work with some groups like Fresenius and dialysis space, and it's really gratifying to know, you know, the physiology around the kidneys and how they function and the important role they play. It's, it's kind of beautiful, actually, just from like a uh, how the body's evolved uh, perspective. And my mentor at Johns Hopkins, where I went to med school, was actually a guy named Dr. Steve Sozio. who's a fellow nephrologist. So I've definitely been drawn to that space. So take us through, you know, your journey from being a clinical practitioner, a clinician into the business side of medicine, and as well as some of your career highlights prior to Walmart.
0: Yeah, you know, again, you know, another organic move when I finished up my fellowship training, I was initially going to look at taking a, a pharmaceutical role at uh, one of Johnson and Johnson subsidiaries, and then I just decided I wanted to practice, and so I joined a a clinical practice in Dayton, Ohio, and. I was actually at that time, although I probably wasn't thinking about it too deliberately, I was really looking for places where I could go out and potentially be an owner in a practice and understand a practice and and try to get some partnership where, you know, it seems like more opportunities than just, just working. And the areas I was looking at, you know, the only places in the country that were having a hard time recruiting folks, they were much more generous in terms of giving you that opportunity. And so Dayton, Ohio became one of the places I looked at and went out to. And about a year into my practice, I was in a in the physician's lounge a, and an individual pharmaceutical rep came up to me from a startup heart failure company and asked me if I wanted to speak and, and speak about this particular product, which I really enjoyed and believed in. And I ended up speaking all over the country, And it was such an important learning experience for me even before I got into my career, because you not only were speaking and trying to be a subject matter expert and understand, but you were speaking in so many different environments, you know, to nurses, to administrators, to academic community docs. And I really learned a little bit of of just, you know, how to sell or carry a bag, but then more importantly, just understand different perspectives of how people think about you know, the healthcare ecosystem, which I think all of us are are grappling with now. And after that, I ended up working for that company, it was acquired by Johnson and Johnson. So I ended up getting a job at J and learned bread and butter medical affairs from a really great leader, and then worked for another heart failure device startup, so another you know small startup company, and then Davida and Fresenius, learning more healthcare systems and and operations. And then moved over to the specialty pharmacy world, and and I just tried to take my career in places where I wanted to learn different aspects of the healthcare system. And uh, most recently was uh, chief medical officer at Express Scripts, and trying to learn a lot about specialty pharmacy and pharmacy networks. So I took a couple of steps backwards along the way, you know, just more deliberately. But I was just always moved by just trying to understand the different parts of the, the ecosystem.
1: Yeah, it's quite quite a resume. And I think a key lesson for our learners, uh, the people listening to this podcast, is to let their careers evolve organically and you know, uh, kind of just be curious, be driven by that passion and curiosity, which sounds like you, you've been over the course of your career. So, So let's actually go into your current role as Chief Medical Officer of Walmart Health and Wellness. Can you give us an overview of the organization? I know there have been many clinics you all have set up, so many different things you all do. It's very exciting to see Walmart get into the space in a big way. Let, you know, what's top of mind for you and what you know, can you give us an overview of the, the company's health and wellness business?
0: Sure. Yeah, you know, I, I think the, the biggest thing with Walmart is that most people don't think about Walmart and health. And I certainly didn't, you know, I didn't think I would be working at Walmart at some point. But you know, the company actually has a very mature healthcare presence. It's been in the business since the 1970s, starting with uh, the retail pharmacy footprint, which there are roughly over 5000 pharmacies you know 4000 of those are in in uh, medically underserved areas we have a specialty pharmacy business we have a telehealth asset that we have bought we have a couple thousand non medical optometry sites dental practices i think most have heard of primary care and sort of the growth there amongst you know most of the players in the healthcare system are trying to broaden into that and then you know being things such as you know the retail side of the business and food where the largest Grocer in the world, and we've been playing more in the regulated markets. And so, you know, that's a little bit of sort of the scale. And you know, there's 150 million people that go through a Walmart every week. You know, there's a Walmart within 10 miles of 90 percent of the population. And so, when I think about my career, and one of the reasons I really wanted to be at Walmart is that it, it you're able to touch pretty much every aspect of the healthcare ecosystem, and you're touching people that truly have a need and with nephrology as you know um, from your mentor, uh, you know a lot of this is related to kidney patients or people that really don't have a lot of uh, in terms of life expectancy it's not uh, very long there's a lot of challenges there and so being able to sort of be at that place where you could actually make a big difference was sort of the mission and and you know for our strategy for the business, we are basically trying to be, an integrated omni-channel healthcare provider like everyone, so, you know, leveraging data technology. But what's different is that we're really doing this within the communities that don't get that. And, and the last thing I'll say is, even with me, within me and, and the medical office that I'm leading under Dr. Pegas, a lot of our simple messaging is that it doesn't matter where you live in the country, we want your level of care To be the same as if you went to a Mass General or to a UPenn or a Hopkins. Um, There should not be a reason that someone shouldn't enjoy that level of care. And that's sort of um, what we're trying to do and try to bring all of our strengths to bear.
1: That's that's an incredible vision. And obviously the size and scope, the 90% of people in the US live within 10 miles of a Walmart is increasingly important given that we know what COVID has done to the healthcare system or accelerated trends like the demise of rural healthcare offerings and hospitals shutting down. So that's very powerful that, that you all are focused on that and are able to be a delivery mechanism. I will say, you know, I've been following the Walmart story for a couple of years now. We've benefited a lot from meeting some of your colleagues who are really current and former colleagues, people like Marcus Osborne, who are on the podcast during the height of COVID. Uh, Chinni Pularu, I first met at the health conference in Las Vegas, Carrie D'Amico, Brad Susi, and a few others who I think are doing great work as far as setting up these clinics. Roshan Parikh, who we had on the podcast a while ago, who obviously was part of Walmart Dentistry for a while. So it's a great team you guys have assembled over the years, you know, going into being able to serve under-resourced communities, you know, tell us a bit more about the Walmart Healthcare Research Institute, you know, how did it come about and what are your main objectives with it?
0: Yeah, you know, so, you know, when you think about just even, you know, this is the same question, right? It's like, you know, Walmart and research don't understand and, and, and it's it's less about about research. You know, we're not starting the research institute to become a clinical research organization or do a thousand studies. When you think about it, it's really an extension of sort of this access and equity uh, initiative and mission that we have in terms of making sure everybody has those same opportunities. So. You know, we already know, you know, most clinical studies, if not all, are not really including communities from underrepresented populations. And there's a lot of reasons for that. It could be that they can't get to a study site. They may not be considered. Some have jobs that don't allow them to take time off work. And so when I think about research, I'm thinking about it in the sense of I have the ability to identify the diseases and drugs that matter. To our patients and so one is that we're able to shine a spotlight on these are the things that we want folks to be aware of but then when i communicate to that patient or customer i want to be able to use that point in time as a way to talk to them about their condition talk to them about a study that is might be relevant to them because we are the provider for our patients you know the roughly almost 30 million people that are using our pharmacy where they're providers, so they will listen to something we're saying. So me saying, you know, hey, your son has asthma, and did you know we have a study um looking at a specific device for controlled asthma, that's a much more relevant conversation. And then lastly, you know, after even whether someone gets decides to participate in research or not, what's equally important or probably even more important is that we just don't leave it there, whether they're recruited or not. We want to be able to see what happened in the community or what with that patient. So did they trust their provider more? You know, are they more engaged in their care? Do they know more? Was the messaging, you know, appropriate for them to really understand? That's really ultimately what we're trying to do, you know, to drive, you know, sort of safer, high quality and equitable care. But, you know, research is just one of those levers.
1: Yeah, there's great potential there, obviously, given the numbers that you all are seeing and and able to provide that service to your your members or customers you mentioned asthma as one example you know i think there's other chronic conditions you all have honed in on like diabetes cardiovascular disease covid-19 especially long covid can you tell us a bit about kind of the the conditions you all are trying to cover and then any plans to grow and do research kind of beyond some of those
0: yeah yeah so i think you know we have a we have a mechanism of which we try to score you know the appropriate kind of studies and frankly even pharmaceutical companies that we want to work with so you know, obviously, diabetes, cardiovascular disease, obesity are important to us, and we over-index on those, on those conditions with our, our population. But like I said, in terms of sort of our scale and you know, thinking about other things that we can do, we can actually play within the rare disease space. We can find those patients that, in a lot of cases, are not even aware that there might be a medication for a condition that they might be struggling with. And so um, we're having multiple conversations with all of the large pharmaceutical sponsors, but really focusing on those conditions, those that have an equity impact, and those that sort of move the needle on the things that, you know,
1: our patients and customers are, uh, are interested in. Yeah, that's amazing. I mean, I can't wait to watch that space and see how it evolves. You know, I know you mentioned one of the key things you're trying to do with this research institute and Walmart in general is uh, moving the needle on diversity equity inclusion and accessibility so can you tell us a bit about how you guys are keeping track of that you know is there a particular market specifically you're honing in on i mean obviously you have a lot of zip code diversity where health outcomes tend to be you know i think i just heard the stat that in rural places z- rural zip codes you know mortality is 24% higher just because of lack of preventive medicine and access to care so tell us a bit about kind of your guys focus on DEI and accessibility
0: yeah, you know and I think it's it's a really great question. It's also a challenging question to answer because you know I think when you focus just on a metric which I think the FDA and others are looking at just race for example, you also miss a lot of the things that you just mentioned is is there, you know, a systemic issue as to why someone doesn't have access or other issues. So we're trying to look at this more holistically. We are trying to determine what are those metrics we should be following such as trust metrics and and other KPIs. And in fact, there's a lot of work being done at Yale, um, in particular, looking at not only trying to figure out how do you quantify trust, or how do you quantify sort of what constitutes an underrepresented population, but also very interestingly, what constitutes a pharmaceutical sponsor that is also leveraging and keeping these these issues in mind as well. And so we're trying to figure out and, and spending a lot of time over the next couple of months
1: trying to determine
0: what those appropriate metrics are.
1: Great, great. Well, again something that I think we'll all be watching pretty closely just given how how much size and scale you guys have. So when when you look at Walmart's evolution maybe over the next 5-10 years in terms of health and wellness. Kind of what do you see as uh, you know are, are you most focused are we obviously on, on expanding your footprint, more states, more centers, you know, more services, the Re- healthcare research institute. How do you see it evolving over the next 5 to 10 years? Yeah, you know, I I think, you know, this is sort of the
0: age-old question right in terms of just what transformation looks like or what disruption looks like. And and one of the reasons I came to Walmart is that We can do things right now, and I'm actually more focused on right now. So, for example, we have the ability in clinical studies to really solve a gap in patient recruitment, which is very difficult. That's something we can do now, and we can make an impact. We have the ability with our footprint that we might not necessarily have to build an end-to-end diabetes program, for example, but well, we could do wound checks in stores. We could do eye exams in stores. We could do healthy food shopping trips with a community health worker. And we are doing work, for example, with some leading associations, including the American Diabetes Association and the Elton John AIDS Foundation, where even with the Elton John AIDS Foundation, the what I mentioned before about training our pharmacists on you know, being certified in, in how to deal with HIV and medication therapy management. Those are things that we can do right now. So the way I think about Walmart is we're really looking at the now just because of some of the stats with how people's health is faring, whether it's in a zip code, as you mentioned, we're going to start to do those types of initiatives now rather than necessarily kind of look at later. I think that's a really, really core focus for many of us at Walmart Health and Wellness.
1: That's that's a really exciting vision uh, and cool to see how how that's expanding. Um you know, pretty quickly—not just in terms of number of centers, but the types of things you guys can can do. You know, again, our audience—we have over 2.6 million current and future healthcare professionals who are listening or who, who consume Osmosis. Many of them were medical students; that's where we started. But nursing, PA, pharmacy, dentistry you know, medical assisting, nutrition, etc. What's your kind of pitch to them about maybe coming to join Walmart and that that this transformation you all are helping drive forward, especially because we know that there's issues with both the training and the retention of healthcare workers, as many of them are currently leaving or or considering leaving the workforce, given all the stressors. Yeah, you know,
0: I I would take a take on this where, you know, clearly, you know, kind of the burnout that Healthcare workers are facing is is pretty significant. There's a tremendous amount of stress for whether it's the pandemic and frankly whether it's a lot of things. There's a lot of change and disruption that's occurring. What I've tried to to at least preach and probably preach is the wrong word. At least what I've learned is try not to define yourself by your skill set in terms of as a subject matter expert. So as a nephrologist or as a dentist or a nurse practitioner. Is you really want to think about yourself in terms of that i have a clinical skill set but if i was going to be dropped into a dental let's say i'm a nephrologist if i'm going to be dropped into a dental practice am i able to sort of execute on a business with sort of my clinical chops because it's the era of being a subject matter expert is rapidly changing you know information is out there everything can be googled or seried but what i think is really compelling about individuals particularly those that are coming here is those that can work cross-functionally and try to figure out how to pull all those things together, how to execute, how to operate, which is very, very different than, you know, sort of what you've learned in, in school and more academically. So I've always found that to be helpful and it sort of keeps you in, it keeps you relevant as well.
1: Definitely. Yeah. Some of those uh, what what are often referred to as soft skills in terms of, you know, whether it's empathetic listening and, and shared decision-making with patience to, creatively thinking about how your practice needs to evolve because even over the course of the last 20 30 years you talk to any current fl- physician including probably you you know starts off in the age of HMOs and you know standalone medical practices and those have all a bunch of them have been swallowed up by large healthcare systems now things are changing so rapidly and that's actually why we launched the raise line podcast so on that on that kind of topic, what other trends are you excited about and watching? Obviously, this entrance of all these major retailers and companies, Walmart being foremost among them, but also, you know, Amazon, CVS, other companies getting into the healthcare space in a big way. What are some trends that you think are are here to stay, you know, hopefully post pandemic environment, clearly COVID still happening, but it's less acute than uh, than when we first launched this podcast?
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I, think, I think one of the trends, obviously, is, the, is this, this idea of non-traditional entrance, you know, and, and whether it's a retailer, whether it's uh, non-traditional data elements, whether it's zip codes, or even if somebody votes, you know, if, if we know that someone votes, um, that individual is a much more engaged individual. So if I threw a clinical program or a message in front of them, they're probably going to respond to it more than someone else. And so this ability to be able to look at your, entire life is, I think, very, very critical. Um, It it will touch whether based on your diet, what your pharmacokinetics are on in terms of sort of whether a drug works or not, or, you know, how adherent you're going to be. So that to me is probably the most interesting trend. And probably the reason you're seeing sort of all of these different changes uh, from sort of the way we traditionally used to practice is because they do make a big difference. And I think that's going to That's going to continue, whether it's a retailer, whether it's telehealth, et cetera. But this whole idea of going upstream and more real world is, I think, something that I'm excited about.
1: Definitely. That's really exciting as well. I know, we want to be respectful of your time. We're coming up on on the the time. I just had a couple of quick, quick questions. One is, as you know, Osmosis is a teaching company. And one question we like to ask our guests is, if you could snap your fingers and teach any audience, whether it's clinicians or patients or someone, some other group, anything, what would it be and and why? You know, I I think I'll go back to something I
0: said about um, just being able to sort of walk outside of your, maybe your comfort zone as a subject matter expert. You know, what I've found is there's a difference between someone who is a subject matter expert and frankly, someone who is strategic, you know, sort of can identify, large trends so you know if you're trying to build a quality and safety organization you want to be a high reliability organization or, or get to a just culture but trying to get from strategy to implementation and be, and being well versed in operations and understanding metrics um, while you can't necessarily teach someone to be an operator, being familiar with what the difference is between being an operator and executor versus somebody who is more of a strategy person uh, or maybe a, a leader in a different way is is critically important. I think clinicians are going to be called on for that and and being an operator sort of Touches a bunch of different things, you know, having direct reports, you know, understanding how the important KPIs, understanding how to focus, what are the levers you want to push. If you guys could figure out a, a learning plan for that, I would, I would definitely watch it.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, definitely the the whole you know business medicine or how to how to not just business and medicine, right? But but the actual like you know how to persuade people, how to uh, manage uh, all of that stuff's important. I mean, certainly having. Grown osmosis from zero or one person to a hundred people. Definitely, I've seen that that uh, that importance. It's very much like how do you convince a patient to follow a course of action or treatment plan. Same with a direct report. So it's interesting. You know, you've already touched upon some advice you'd give our learners about uh, developing those skill sets. uh, We talked about what other advice would you give to them about um, approaching their career in healthcare? If you have any other advice,
0: yeah. I mean, you know, I think this probably very cliche, but you know, really try to love what you're doing. And, and I think you touched on also just, you know, as you go through your career, it's, it's tough to plan, you know, what you're trying to do. And I I always found that if you're a little bit more intentional, number one, about doing things you like working people with uh, who you like, but then also recognizing gaps and sometimes taking a step back and trying to learn different skill sets along the way, it's really important. I, I don't think I would be where I am if I didn't do that and frankly even the individual I report to now dr. Pigas Cheryl Pigas that was also intentional to try to learn from another physician who's done pretty remarkable things and being able to learn you know those are the things you want to try to be intentional about at least that I found that to be really helpful
1: I would definitely echo that advice that oftentimes it comes down to who you surround yourself with as opposed to exactly what you're working on um, so uh, Dr. Wig, I really appreciate you taking the time to be with us today. And more importantly, the work that you, you and your team are doing to uh, to raise the line and strengthen our healthcare system. Thank you, Shiv. I really appreciate being here. And with that, I'm Shiv Gulani. Thank you to our audience for checking out today's show. And remember to do your part to raise the line. We're all in this together. Take care.
0: If you like this podcast, please share it on your social channels. You can also subscribe to the series and check out all of our episodes at osmosis.org raise the line podcast.